Jeremiah chapter 17, don't stand yet. Jeremiah 17 is where we'll be tonight. And we're going to start off a series uh, this evening entitled Better Decisions. I'm going, to, I'm going to do this tonight. I'm going to give a few introductory thoughts. And then we'll read our text. I'm just going to ask you to be seated tonight. I know we usually stand. But tonight, because of the way the sermon will flow, it'll just be better that way. So I'll read that in just a minute. And then we will get, we'll have a word of prayer and look at uh, some context surrounding the passage that we'll read in just a moment. Have you ever made a decision before, made a choice, and you look back at it and you think, I'm really glad uh, that I made that choice. Um, Sometimes coming to church on a Wednesday night can be just one of those small decisions in life. And in the moment, you know, you, you get off work and it's rushed and you may or may not have had dinner and you're thinking, man, this would be a good night to skip. Um, but then you get there and you're thinking, I'm glad I came. You know, this was, that, was a, that was a good decision. It enabled me to have a better Christian life. And I'm grateful for the time with my church family and, and the time that I spent there. Um, could be something more significant. Uh, like, I'm really glad I'm saved. I, I am so grateful to know the Lord Jesus Christ and to have accepted Him in my heart. I'm grateful to be a member of this church, um, to be part of this place for as many years as I've been. I met my wife here, and I'm so grateful uh, that I asked her to marry me. I'm grateful she said yes, um, but you know that was her choice, not mine. Um, but those are good choices. For every good choice we make, we would have one or two or maybe many that we regret though too. And they could be something small, like I shouldn't have eaten that candy as a snack today, or I wasted too much time on Netflix last night. Um, or it could be painful. Uh, for me, it would be like I wish I had made the decisions to, to start Rogaine earlier. Or it could be something like this. I should have listened to my parents more when I was younger. I shouldn't have dated that person. I should have made the decision to take school more seriously. Maybe I shouldn't have made that purchase. I regret that. I should have guarded my spirit. I, I shouldn't have said what I did when I said it. The truth is tonight we all know the pain of poor decisions made. When we look at life, And we look at maybe what we define as a good life. Good lives come down to making good decisions. And lives that are full of regret are due to bad decisions. It doesn't matter your age, your life stage. In the end, we are made up of the decisions that we make. And oftentimes, it's not just that we make a bad decision. It's what we do on the other side of that bad decision. And the decisions we make on the other side of that. And that ultimately is what determines a good life. Your future tonight, whatever that might be, whatever that looks like for you, is going to be determined by the decisions you make today. And so going back to our decision a few minutes ago to come to church, well, that impacts you, uh, that changes you, that puts you on a different trajectory in life, simple little things like that. Your decisions are the only thing you can control in life. You know, tonight... um, we came to church and we got into our minivan and there was a steering wheel. And we take that steering wheel and you take the steering wheel of your car and that steering wheel, we have control of it. And so wherever I turn that wheel is where that vehicle will turn. Well, those are our decisions. They're like the steering wheel of life. And so wherever, whatever decisions we make, though, that's where our life is going. We don't get to choose another route because those decisions determine our destiny and the direction that we're headed. And one decision at a time, one turn at a time, we are writing the story of our life. 
And the better thing to do, instead of just living it by default, is to say, okay, where do I want to go? Who, who do I want to be? What kind of story do I want to write? And, and better yet, not just what kind of story am I telling, but what story are other people one day going to tell about my life? How are they seeing me? And so the idea we want to explore through this particular series is that there is a connection between our good decisions and a good life, and then specifically, good questions. I want to read this quote, and and I want you to listen to it as carefully as you're able. This was by Clay Christensen. He's a professor at the Harvard Business School. And he said this, questions are places in your mind where answers fit. If you haven't asked the question, then the answer has nowhere to go. It hits your mind, and then it bounces right off. You have to ask the question. You have to want to know in order to open up the space for the answer to fit. See, good questions ultimately lead to better and good life decisions. And good life decisions ultimately lead to the kind of life that we all really want. Good questions, good decisions, a good life. If you don't ask good questions, then you don't get good answers. So you never get answers to questions you don't ask. But when we ask good questions, we gain information, we gain insight, and they help us to make better choices. And the people that we ask questions of the fewest are ourselves. My kids ask me questions all the time. I ask them questions all the time. I ask many of you questions all the time. But how often do we stop and ask ourselves questions? This idea of self-examination or even self-cross-examination. See, we do that so poorly. There's a proverb, Proverbs 27, 19, that says this, As in water, face answers to face, so the heart of man to man. So tonight, I was getting ready, and I assume you were as well, and at some point invariably throughout the day, hopefully most of you looked into a mirror. And so as you look into the mirror, you see yourself. And the Bible would use the idea of water, but it's the same principle. So the the proverb again says, as in water, face answers to face. We could use that word tonight as in a mirror, a face answers to face. So the heart of man to man. And what the idea behind this proverb is simply this. As I stare into my face, I see my body in the mirror. But when I stare into my heart, then I see who I am. That's the real me. It's the idea of self-examination. It's this idea of not just looking into a a, a pool of water or into a mirror, but looking at myself and you looking at yourself and seeing who you really are and asking questions and taking the steering wheel of life and guiding and directing you, your heart, your soul, your mind, your time, where you want it to go. And this is so important because decisions we make, rather than advice that is prescribed to us, helps us to follow through with greater consistency. See, I can tell you what to do tonight with your life. You could come to me and ask me a question and I could tell it to you. And it might be good advice. But usually, we don't always follow advice we're given unless we're the ones that came up with it. Then it's pretty good advice. And that's what the Bible's asking us to do. Look into a mirror, the mirror of your soul, the mirror of your heart, and say, hey, where am I at? How's my spirit? Is this who I wanna be? 
Is this the joy I want reflected? Is this what other people see? And then when we ask those types of questions, we get back answers. And if we're honest with ourselves and we admit the truth, then all of a sudden we have things that we can begin to work on. And we have a self-prescription that will help us. And so tonight, as we begin this series, we're going to ask this question this evening. And I hope that as we go through these thoughts, it'll make more sense at the end. And the question is simply this, am I being honest with myself? Am I being honest with myself? So look with me at Jeremiah chapter 17 and verse 9. I want to read these verses and then I'm going to pray and give you some context behind them. Jeremiah wrote, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? It's rhetorical. I, the Lord, search the heart. I try the reins, even to give every man according to his ways and according to the fruit of his doings. Let's pray tonight. Father, thank you for the time together tonight. Lord, I pray as we look at these verses and the context in which they were written, that, Lord, you would help us to better understand our own hearts. Lord, that tonight and over the course of the next few weeks, as the staff men bring these thoughts to us, that, Lord, we might take a moment and we would do this again tonight, Lord, that we would look into the mirror, um, not just physically, but spiritually. Lord, that we'd reflect on who we are. Lord, that we'd be honest about what we see and that we'd begin to ask questions. And Lord, that we'd be better helped as a result of our time, uh, of our face answering to face and our heart answering to our hearts, and that you would guide and direct us with wisdom to steer and to control Lord, the future, and to make better decisions in our lives. So, Lord, help us tonight as we reflect on this thought and the ones to come in Jesus' name. Amen. Jeremiah, of course, was a prophet. Uh, he served as an advisor to several kings in a row who ruled ancient, the ancient kingdom of Judah. His career began with a rough start, and he served under the young king named Jehoiakim. Israel at this time it was a puppet state and they were paying annual tribute to Babylon who in return provided military assistance while allowing Israel to conduct her own affairs. Well three years go by. King Jehoiakim doesn't like that and he decides you know what I've had enough of this. I'm tired of paying tribute. I'm tired of giving all these taxes to another country. I want them for myself and he wants to restore the nation of Israel and he's had enough and he decides you know what I'm going to withhold my tribute. I'm not going to give that money away anymore. And he declares his allegiance to Babylon's archrival, Egypt. Well, Jeremiah, he's a counselor there in the court. He gets wind of his plans, and so he comes to the king. And he warns Jehoiakim of the consequences of rebelling against the mighty Babylon and King Nebuchadnezzar. This is a big deal. Don't underestimate him just because he's far away. Doesn't mean he'll go lightly with us. It doesn't mean he's not going to march over here. And on and on he goes. He says this is a bad idea, but not only that, Jehoiakim, it's not God's will for our nation for this to happen. Like God specifically is saying, don't do this. Jehoiakim wasn't concerned about that either. He had long since abandoned the ways of Judaism. He had given himself over to gross sins far outside the moral prohibitions that God had set for them as a nation. And so he rebels. 
Okay, to put this in, in some type of perspective tonight, that would be like Tulsa, Oklahoma, rebelling, not against the state of Oklahoma, but against the United States of America and saying, we're going to take you on. Like, we're going to declare ourselves the nation of Tulsa, and we are going to become our own state, and, and we're not doing anything more, and we're going to take on the United States of America. And we would look at that and go, well, that's, that's just ludicrous. That's kind of the scale here, if not, if not even on a grander scale. But Jehoiakim wouldn't listen. He would not listen to, to, to Jeremiah. And so some time goes by, and sure enough, King Nebuchadnezzar did exactly what Jeremiah predicted he would do. And so 598 B.C., Nebuchadnezzar invades Judah. He lays siege to the city of Jerusalem. It lasted three months. He marches in. He takes Jehoiakim. He puts him in chains, and he marches him back to Babylon. And once there, he is added to his king collection. Some people collect guns. Um, some collect coins. Nebuchadnezzar collected kings. So when he conquered a nation, he would typically bring him back home alive. And he would put him in gold chains. And typically, he would blind them. And then on special occasions, he would have all of these kings come out. And he would have them paraded in golden chains around his courtroom. And because they were blind, each king, historians say, would have to put their right hand on the shoulder in front of the king in front of him. And they would be paraded around his courtroom. And this was the fate of Jehoiakim. But before leaving Jerusalem, King Nebuchadnezzar crowned his son Jehoiachin king. He was 18 years old. Three months go by, and Nebuchadnezzar changes his mind. He catches wind of some type of conspiracy, and so he goes back, and the recently coronated Jehoiachin was also put in chains and blinded and taken back to Babylon. But this time Nebuchadnezzar thinks, you know what, I, I, I am so sick and tired of these people. And so he has his generals bring back 10,000 captives from the upper class of Jerusalem and the surrounding area, including the entire royal family. He also rounded up and imprisoned the nation's military leaders. I mean, he's just going all out. And then as one final measure to ensure Judah would never again consider breaking away from Babylonian rule, he commanded his men to plunder the palace and the treasury. And so everyone's scared. And at this point, no one wants to be king. And there's no volunteers, but they need a king. And so Nebuchadnezzar appoints Jehoiachin's uncle Zedekiah to be king. And Zedekiah is now 21 years old. And what King Zedekiah didn't know, and what no one else knew at the time, was that he would be the last king of Judah for this reason. Because like the kings before him, he would not listen to Jeremiah, he would not listen to God, and he would not listen to sound advice that was given to him. He took his own counsel, and he listened to only the voices that echoed that counsel. So he knew what he wanted to do. He said, I'm king now, and this is, what, this is my agenda, and if you don't agree with me, then you're wrong. And so what does Jeremiah do? Well, he comes to him. 
And he pleads him not to make the mistakes of the past. 2 Chronicles chapter 36, verse 12 says this about young King Zedekiah. It says, He did that which was evil in the sight of the Lord his God. And he humbled not himself before Jeremiah the prophet, speaking from the mouth of the Lord. So here these two obviously had some intense conversations. Jeremiah speaking on behalf of God. Zedekiah saying, I'm not going to yield to you. I'm not going to listen to you. You don't say anything I want to hear. And so I'm not going to pay attention to you. And so no sooner does Nebuchadnezzar head back to Babylon than when the newly coronated King Zedekiah chose to do exactly as Jehoiakim and Jehoiakim was going to do, he declares independence from Babylon. And Jeremiah pleads with him not to repeat the mistakes of the past, but he wouldn't listen and he ignores him. So what does Jeremiah do? Well, Jeremiah's concerned about the people he takes to the streets. He begins preaching his message. Hey, we can't do this. We need to pay attention. Babylon's going to come back. And when they do, we don't need to fight them. We need to yield to them. This is what the Lord says. He assures the citizens of Jerusalem that rebellion will result in destruction. He encourages the populations to open the gates to the Babylonians so their lives will be spared. Zedekiah, here's what he's doing. And he's angry at Jeremiah. And the Bible says he takes Jeremiah and he throws him in this pit in the king's palace. And Jeremiah sinks down into the mire and into the clay. And here he remains. In the ninth year of his reign, Zedekiah enters into allegiance with Egypt. And this again was a declaration of war in Babylon. And just as Jeremiah predicted, here comes Nebuchadnezzar. This time he led the army himself to crush the rebellion. They laid siege to the city once again, and they starve out the inhabitants. They force them into submission, and Zedekiah begins to realize how foolish he had been. He realizes how, how hopeless the situation was. He goes and he gets Jeremiah and says, hey, I'm ready to listen to God now. It's too late. And Jeremiah says, it's too late. Your fate has been sealed. And Zedekiah like his predecessors, was captured. And his own children were slaughtered in front of his eyes. And that was the last thing he'd ever see, the Bible says, because then his eyes were burned out. And then he was taken and placed in the king collection, wrapped in chains in Babylon as a prisoner of war. We hear a story like that tonight, and I know it's a longer story, but there's a point to it. Because here, here, here you have Jehoiakim, and you have Jehoiachin, and then you have Zedekiah. And in a relatively short amount of time, you think, hey, at what point do you look at what happened to the other guys? Like, eyes burned out, you know, going around in chains. Like, this isn't a good deal. Like, Nebuchadnezzar's not messing around. I mean, within one lifespan here. And we look at that and go, you guys are foolish. Why would you continue to make decisions like that? Why wouldn't you listen to opposing counsel? Why wouldn't you listen to someone who might disagree with you? Because maybe they're right, and maybe things could go better for you. And it was during this interaction with the stubborn king Zedekiah that Jeremiah documented this version of why we, like Jehoiachin and Jehoiakim and Zedekiah, are so prone towards self-deception. And it's in the slight of the context of this story that he pens the words we wrote and read a moment ago. 
Jeremiah 17, 9. And he says, of these men and of all of us, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? The heart. And he doesn't qualify it. He doesn't say, if you're a king in Judah, you have a wicked heart. He doesn't say, if you're in this family tree, you have a wicked heart. He's just reflecting on the heart of mankind. And he says, and he chooses this adjective very carefully, the heart's deceitful. In other words, the heart has a tendency to lie to us. And we have a tendency to believe it. We gobble it up. It's not that our heart speaks all lies. It's that we get to equations in life. And there are multiple facets involved in that. And we just want to see the side of the issue that we see. We don't want to see all angles of it. We don't, we don't want to consider that maybe we're potentially wrong, that maybe there's another viewpoint. And so what do we do? Well, we believe this truth, even though there is also attached to it some lie. And we refuse to consider it from all angles. And we refuse to listen to the wisdom of other people. And we refuse to seek help outside of ourselves. It's deceitful. And Jeremiah's word, uh, a message here explains why smart, reasonable people are capable of really dumb decisions. Decisions that others look at and maybe are removed from the situation, look at and go, well, this is a no-brainer. Why are you doing that? Why, why did you make that decision? Why did you go that direction? Why do you have that attitude? Why did you make that per per purchase? But in the moment, we're deceived because our hearts are deceitful and our hearts aren't truthful and they deceive us. And the Bible says, as in water, face answers to face. And so maybe we look in the mirror a lot. So the heart of man to man, we fail to look at a deceitful heart and say, you know, we got some problems here that we need to fix. Our hearts aren't truthful. They leave us wondering why we did that, said that, chose that. Why are we so susceptible to believing our deceitful hearts? And the answer is as simple as this. We want to. We talk ourselves into things we want to do and don't want to do. We're really, really good at justifying whatever we want to. Why do we overeat? You're the one that put it in your, in your mouth. Why do we overspend? You made that purchase. You swiped that card. You signed that loan. Why do we waste so much time when it's so precious and it's what life is made of? Why do we get so angry? Why do we willfully lust? Why do we enter a room or into a relationship or get around other people and the entire time think only of ourselves? See, you don't have to deceive yourself on good and right decisions. You know they're right. But when it comes to bad decisions, you have to deceive yourself or you wouldn't do it. And that's what Jeremiah is saying here. We don't make bad decisions unless our hearts deceived us. And it deceives us all the time. We're experts at convincing ourselves often of doing the wrong thing. Okay, let me take a soft target tonight, like dessert. Remember what you told yourself the last time you had dessert? 
46 minutes ago? <laughs> well, since I didn't have dessert at lunch, an extra piece of that pie now won't hurt anything. Like, what? What does not having dessert at lunch have to do with having dessert in this moment? Well, it doesn't have anything. But we say things like that to ourselves. I've been working hard and I deserve something sweet. Okay, what does working hard have to do with pump, some, putting something into your body you'd probably be better off without? Well, it doesn't. We're just deceiving ourselves. Well, I'll take a double scoop because I'm planning to exercise tomorrow. Okay, that is a reason to not get a double scoop, right? Okay, this is a soft target, but this is how we justify to ourselves the things that we eat, the money that we spend, the attitude we have, the way we act, what we do with our time. You get the point. We have a proclivity for selling ourselves on what we want to do rather than what we ought to do. Why? Because our hearts are deceitfully wicked above all things. When you talk yourself into something, you're going to have to pay for it. There's consequences attached to it. It's true for Jehoiakim, Jehoiakim, Zedekiah, the people that were under his rule. You talk yourself into it, the, scale, the number on the scale grows and it doesn't lie like your heart does. Money gets really, really tight. Sometimes the decision's even more serious than that. And we have to pay for the rest of our lives. Decisions like the relationship suffers permanently and is broken and can't be fixed. Your influence becomes diminished because of your behavior, your actions. The worst, our own souls sometimes suffer. See, often our problems begin when we take our own bad advice. And instead of owning our deceitful heart, instead of saying, that was my fault. <laughs> yep. <sighs> I did that. We blame other people. Oh, we blame other things. We don't want to blame our deceitful heart. We want to protect the deceitful heart. And so we blame other people. Well, my bad kid's behavior is because of their genetics from their mom's side. <laughs> well, my poor health, it, it's really due to these other factors. You have to understand the full picture here. Well, my attitude is this way. If you had been through the things that I've gone through, you'd understand. See, we make excuses. Well, I can't serve. I can't do that. I can't love that way. I, I'm just not a people person. We deceive ourselves. It's partly true, we tell ourselves, but it's also partly false. We don't want to entertain that part. So what can we do about it? How do we help the heart? Well, I'm going to tell you this, it can't be cured. The Bible makes that clear. There is coming a day when sin will be wiped away and we will be forever at peace with the Lord. And our hearts will be whole because they'll be found in Him. But that day is not yet. The heart can't be cured, but it can be checked. It can be, we can be aware of its devices, and we can hold it accountable. And the first thing that we have to do is take responsibility for our hearts and simply admit it. You tell someone they've got a deceitful heart, and half of us here tonight are going, 
Yeah, you guys do. Like the rest of you do. No, we do. You have to admit that. You have to understand that. You have to embrace that about yourself. You have to come to grips with the truth about your heart. It's deceitful and it's working against you to your own harm and hurt. And the truth is that this is uncomfortable and it's disquieting. But we have to be honest with ourselves and stop making so many excuses and say, yeah, part of my problems, if not all of them, are because of my heart. And it can be deceitful and it needs to be held in check. And so once we embrace this truth, we'll be able to more cautiously recognize when our heart is trying to deceive us and lie to us. Too many of us are narrow-minded in a negative way and prejudice. And we lack objectivity. And we think, well, I see it clearly. And this is truth. And bless God, this is black and white. Are you sure about that? Because if God didn't say it, be careful. There might be another side to see, and your heart might be deceiving you. Be careful. Admit it. And then ask this question. Am I being honest with myself? You owe it to yourself to know. To look into, with this self-examination, like you would into a mirror, And just say, am I being honest here? Like, am I being truthful with me? And we don't think that way. Why am I bent on making this decision? Well, that's uncomfortable. Well, that's a truth to accept. We naturally resist what we don't understand. We resist and we push back against that which we can't control. We excuse, we criticize, we dismiss. But if we want to hold our chart in check, then we're going to have to admit that it's got problems. Look, nobody gets up out of bed every day and is 100% ready for the day without some modifications to their body. Like brushing our teeth and our hair and washing, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And neither are our souls ready for life without the same process. But we don't go through those routines near as frequently as we should. We have to admit that we live in a sin-cursed world and our hearts are deceitful. We have to ask the question, am I being honest? And then we have to, most importantly, own the why behind the what of what we're doing. Okay, what am I doing? Well, I've got a bad attitude right now. That's what I'm doing. I'm expressing a bad attitude. What am I doing? Well, I'm, I'm, I'm inconsistent in my church attendance. That's what I'm doing. What am I doing? Well, I'm not giving to the Lord the things that I should be giving. What am I doing? Well, I'm not serving and loving other people the way that I should. What am I doing? Well, I'm being selfish in my relationship with my spouse. Okay. Own the why behind the what. Why are you doing that? Admit what you're doing. Then ask yourself why. Okay, I want to go through this exercise tonight. I'm going to just read a long list of questions here. And if one of these sticks out to you, or if another question comes to mind that I don't ask, I want you to write it down, put it in your phone, grab a piece of paper, uh, you know, use one of those guest cards the pastor was talking about earlier if you have to, all right? But write it down because of the invitation tonight. That's what I want you to pray about. And I'm going to tell you how in just a second. Because here's the question. Owning the why behind the what. 
Why am I avoiding that person? I don't know who it might be. Why? We don't like to answer that question. I just want to to avoid them, and I want to avoid the question. Right, you do, but your heart's deceitful. Why are you avoiding them? Because Christ has called you to love. Why am I postponing X? Whatever that might be. Why are you postponing that? Getting involved, writing that letter, expressing that love, a generous act, whatever it might be that the Lord's laid on your heart, that prayer life. Why am I postponing this? Why do I keep making excuses about such and such? Why? Own the why. That's what you're doing. Own the why. Why do I choose to wear the things that I'm wearing? Why am I buying this? Why am I moving? Why am I eating this? Or why am I drinking that drink over and over again to my detriment? Why? Why do you continue to go out with him or her or that group of friends? Why are you taking that job? Why are you not exercising? Why are you not restraining your appetite? Why aren't you participating? Why aren't you being generous? Why aren't you fellowshipping? Why aren't you loving your spouse in a sacrificial way? What's the real reason you don't call your kids or your dad or mom or your grandparent? Why are you not forgiving? that person or that situation, or yourself? Why is your attitude the way it is? Why don't you have any joy? Okay, the list goes on and on and on, but you get the point. Think about it. We all have our what we're doing. We just don't want to think about the why we're doing it. And if we're going to get help, we're going to have to ask those questions. We're going to have to look into the mirror of our souls and do some cross-examination and say, okay, that's what I'm doing, and I'm going to be honest about it tonight. Now, why am I doing it? Social scientists use a term we've used here on occasion from the pulpit. It's called confirmation bias. Confirmation bias is the tendency we all have to look for information or arguments that support what we already believe and reasons that support what we are already inclined to do. People online, the people behind the algorithms and all of that, there's some fascinating research out there, they know that. And they are constantly in all of our feeds, social media, in our search engines, and the advertising we get even in the mail, are constantly reinforcing it. They're, they're, they're studying us, they know what we are, and they're just pushing things at us. And they know you're not gonna believe X, Y, Z, so here's this, con- so they, you will believe this because you already believe that. So here's more of that confirmation bias. But this does two things to us. First, confirmation bias empowers us to see what we want to see and hear what we want to hear. So our ears perk up, our eyes read, yep, that's true. Like I already thought that and now that's true. Without ever considering that maybe our hearts are deceitful and we're believing a partial truth. Because this is what the second thing it does to us. Confirmation bias empowers us to tune out everything contrary 
to what we believe. And if you don't believe that, it's as old as the Bible. Because it's exactly what Jehoiakim did. Well, he's an idiot. Yeah, he was. Well, it's also what Jehoiakim did. Well, he was an idiot too. Yep. That's what Zedekiah did. Man, three idiots in a row. And Jeremiah goes, yep. We've all got the same problem. We believe what we ought to believe. Jeremiah, get your message. It's not true. Somebody put him in a pit. Lock him up. He's, he's telling me something contrary to what I want to hear. So he must be wrong because I've got other people here telling me the same thing that I already believe. Confirmation bias. We want to be proven right more than we want to know what's true. Jesus said this, the truth will set you free. And the reverse of that statement is equally, is equally true. And it's simply this, dishonesty will imprison you. Truth sets free. But deceit and lies and dishonesty, they imprison us. They hurt us. And throughout our lives, we are forced to make decisions we don't want to make. We are all prone to put pleasure over self-control. Our bodies, our relationships, and even our eternity suffer. Our hearts are deceitful. We'll talk ourselves into things we'll later regret. We'll be myopic in our views and opinions. And here's the truth. It doesn't have to be that way. It doesn't have to continue to be that way for you. So we have to ask ourselves these questions. Why am I doing this? Okay, why am I this way? Okay, before that, what am I doing? We don't even, we don't even get that far half the time. What am I doing? Well, I believe this, or I'm doing this. Why do I believe that? And if we can answer those questions with honesty, if we can take responsibility for what we do and don't do, if we can own the why behind what we're doing, even when it hurts and makes us uncomfortable, we're going to discover answers to questions that for some of us we're asking for the very first time. So here's the challenge tonight. Decide this. I will not lie to myself, even when the truth makes me feel bad about myself. And when we have the courage to ask questions, we find answers we didn't have before. And it's in those answers that we find healing and help. I will not lie to myself. Have the courage. Even when the truth makes me feel bad about myself.